How about Sam Neill chasing her through the restaurant, and tearing through those? Oh tables? my god, that was I, great! God, the chef number two is <laughs> probably one of my favorite extras in a movie <laughs> ever. It's the fact that birdie, they're wearing birdie, 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 birdie. It's the fact that they're wearing those tall chef hats. I know it's really so great. Like I've said on this podcast, a big believer in uh, art and artist are two different things. But there's something to be said about seeing something and experiencing it before, before, the yeah. before the wizard comes out from, <laughs> from behind, <laughs> and he's wearing the no clothes, and, and you wish he would go back behind the curtain. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just oh, want to go back to the black and white. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the 1981 horror drama film, which is Possession, directed by Andrea Zulowski. <laughs> That's a winner. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into episode 84 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Toussaint Egan and Nick Cheney. Holy shit, 84. I know, right? Yeah, that's crazy. We're getting yeah. close to my birth year, 87, coming up quick. <laughs> shit. We, we passed your birth year quite a while ago, technically, because, you know, that was like... 20-something years ago. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I get what you're saying. That was like a... Is that like Elmer Fudd? Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh my god. So anyways, that other <laughs> silly voice you hear is Sonny again. How's it going? Hey. <laughs> Glad to be here. guess so. Yeah. Let's talk about Nate Parker. <laughs> That's next week. Oh, yeah, not. sorry. Come on. I'm getting ahead of myself. I was going to say, we can save that discussion. I'm sure everyone's going to have some thoughts on our next episode. Which <laughs> I was just trying to tease the audience. Well, and we'll tease later at the end of this episode, but uh, next week we're going to be talking about... <laughs> what film are we going to be talking about? Nonstop, obviously. I was going to say about Alex, but... Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. One in a long line of ripoffs of... Um, why can't I think of it now? The Big Chill? There we go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So, anyways, uh, next week we will be talking about The Birth of a Nation, the Nate Parker film, which has gotten a lot of attention in the media uh, for some, good. some of the reasons that a, a film usually would. Some and I was going to say a lot of the uh, of, of different reasons. Yeah. Don and, and Hill know what's up. <laughs> we'll probably hit on... Quite a few of those uh, in both arenas, the film and off-screen next That's week. going to be a huge episode. I just want to put that out there right now because we're all going to go see it together. Mm -hmm. uh, literally tomorrow after tomorrow night, as in the night after we record this podcast, yeah. 
And as two people who have saw it with the uh, enthusiastic crowd at Sundance after it had won the award for... Uh, and before all of this. Before all of this, yes. And so two people are going to go into it reevaluating, possibly or not, whatever. And one person is going to go to it without having seen it. Mm-hmm. And yet, with all this uh, context, like that's just going to be... I have a lot to say about it, yeah. both off-screen and on-screen. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah. And, yeah... I feel like it's one of those weird things where, and I've said this before on this very podcast, that, um, yeah, I, there are some things I'm going to feel about the film that I probably wouldn't have felt without seeing it pre the Nate Parker thing that my opinions really aren't going to change no matter yeah. which is seeing I, the film again. From my perspective, that makes total sense because I'm, yeah. like I've said on this podcast, a big believer in that. Art and artist are two different things. But there's something to be said about seeing something and experiencing it before before the, the, before the wizard comes out from behind. <laughs> from behind <laughs> and he's wearing no clothes. And, wish, and you wish he would go back behind the curtain. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just oh, want daddy. to go back to the black and white I wasn't even trying. Yeah, I know. That was good. That's great. So that's next week's episode. That is. But this week's episode, we are talking about the Andre Zolowski film, Possession. This film came out in 1981 and stars Isabel Ajani and Sam Neill, pre-dinosaurs. I feel like he learned a lot from this role that he brought into Jurassic Park. Really? Yeah. Uh, maybe. Wait, Looking at a T-Rex, your mother's not coming home tonight. <laughs> we'll we'll hit on that in just a little bit. In just a little bit. Uh, but first, we're going to do a brief segment talking about the first episode of the HBO series Westworld. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, Wild Wild West. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not quite like that, but uh, similar. Uh, we well, pre- there's robots. <laughs> we... We previewed this uh, very series uh, a couple months ago when talking about the first trailer, and uh, I think we were all interested in uh, this weird remake, reboot, original series, uh, which is brought to us by Jonathan Nolan and a host of others. I was very much excited. Yeah? Yeah. And and, uh, I get the feeling that this didn't have a lot of buzz pre-premiere in terms of Buzz like something it was a little like, too hard to truly track to have yeah buzz because of the fact that it was essentially supposed to premiere like last year yeah it's had a long gestation right. period so whatever buzz it has it kind of waned and and you know yeah. grew um but the first episode now has premiered and uh, it will continue through its uh, initial ten episode run here and I'm guessing like in the next couple weeks we'll find out it's been picked up for its second season it's pretty standard I, I, hbo i'm surprised we haven't heard already because, yeah because of the fact that it was reported that it was the most watched premiere since uh game of thrones true detectives first season premiere. okay oh yeah so you know i'm, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear soon and that's but... almost two and a half years ago now or something like that yeah. so it's been yeah yeah, yeah. um I think there's interest there. Obviously, uh, watching the show, um, this is definitely a big-budget series for HBO. 
Uh, this isn't like girls or something like that, where even though they obviously put money into it, it's a it's a, a different kind of investment <laughs> yeah. for them as a network. So uh, we all watch this and have had a chance to kind of digest the first episode. And I think I'll start off if you guys don't mind, Go because it, please, I was interested in seeing this. Uh, it's the first series this year that I have gone out of my way to watch the first episode the day of its premiere, mm-hmm. and. Uh, although I thought the episode by itself was not great, I'm very interested to see where the series is going because I thought that the pilot episode uh, did what you should be doing in your early episodes, which is laying the groundwork for what your series is going to be, whether it be one season or seven seasons. And uh, I feel like there's a lot here that uh, could be interesting for the viewers going forward. Whatever that means, um, a lot of potential. And that's really all I can say about it is that I felt like it was a slightly underwhelming episode of television that laid the groundwork for perhaps lots of great episodes of television. So that's pretty much it. And a f- fantastic um, opening scene, not opening scene, but a scene in an opening episode involving Anthony Hopkins and an early uh, inhabitant of the West world where he has a discussion with him in this. Very... What do they call them? Hosts? Yeah. Hosts, yeah. yeah. And he's a, a first edition host. <laughs> and it's a very bizarre scene uh, that ends with Anthony Hopkins telling himself, uh, telling the host to put himself back in his bag and put himself away. It's really creepy. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's like someone trying to make friends with the pirates of the Caribbean ride. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's funny because that's exactly what it is. You saw his broken down ass, like just struggling, and his eye was twitching and all that. And there's so much here for you to, to get interested in. And, um, yeah, I'll be I'll be watching from here on out, at least for the first season. So yeah. I'll pass it on. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I guess I'll pick up the baton because I was very, very excited uh, for this series. Just initially from the um, what little we knew about it. It's supposed to be a dark odyssey about the nature of sin and the dawn of like cybernetic intelligence, which is, you know, that that's like, that, that that's my catnip really. I, I love, I love uh, science fiction. I love cyberpunk and I love these sort of like twisted morality fables. Like those are fun for me. Um, I watched the first episode and I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't think it, it definitely didn't blow my socks off. It's something that I'll probably have to. Nope, yeah, you, still you on. Have to actually, just checked. Um, I. It's something that I, I'm looking forward to, like rewatching, because there were like a, a couple of hints uh, where where it has the sequence that goes over and over again of the actual Westworld inhabitants. <laughs> like it's it's a extraordinarily better version of Vantage Point. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I thought <laughs> I that... got you, babe. <laughs> I thought that uh, Evan Rachel Wood, um, she pretty much gave a pretty good performance. And I like the nature of Ed Harris's character of the Man in Black simply because I have actually never watched the original Michael Crichton um, Westworld film. The one with uh, Yul Brynner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, but I know enough about it to see that this show is, is doing something um, different. It's actually like twisting on, on its head in such a way in that – from what I recall from the original Westworld film that the man in black was one of the so-called hosts or one of the automatons within the actual Westworld. Whereas in this one, Ed Harris is a returning character or is he? Or is he? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. It was like, but that's sort of what you're led to presume for the fact that he 
cannot die apparently and that he is just like well, he's been, well he's nobody's been gonna a, there's uh, a lot to get into about that right. specific point yeah there so. are literally embedded rules that if he's who he says he is yeah. that the host can't harm humans so says the rules that we know of right, right. now right. yeah 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 um so i'm really just looking forward to to unpacking that and the uh the stinger at the end of, of this first episode was also really interesting simply for the fact that, yes, we said before, there are rules. And we actually see one of the hosts in, in the final scene break one of those rules. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I got to say, I when you guys showed me the trailer, and I've been following, I would say, at least slightly, uh, the production of this show and how it was kept getting delayed. And that made me kind of worried because I'm like, yeah, if it can't be made, then... <laughs> Same. Maybe, maybe there's something wrong here. Uh, so with World that, War Z. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mike, with that coupled with the trailer that we all watched together, um, I was just not really looking forward to it, other than looking forward to the idea of a HBO show uh, having a possible stamp on genre television because we don't really get enough of that. I mean, the last good genre TV show with Battlestar Galactica on sci-fi mm. and they've literally never created another good show <laughs> so that was kind of a fluke but actually I bring that show up because and I know other people have said this before but I'm a TV uh, aficionado too so I'm going to bring up the same exact comparison but this is kind of the next Battlestar Galactica because of the sense that it literally reappropriates uh, an existing uh, property and takes it more serious than its predecessor did. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it, it does that in a way that it's almost more, it's almost more timely now than it probably was when it was first released. Whereas when it was first released, it was a silly romp, uh, you know, a, a mix of old West, uh, you know, yeah, you had Yul Brenner or, yeah, in, in it. I mean, Orwellian sci-fi and short yeah. circuit, like that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mix is like, so I, I'm actually interested in watching it, but <laughs> doesn't necessarily, it's not going to stand a test of time unless it gets remade. And here we have, uh, a very deadly serious remake of it. Um, not to say that there's not any humor, but as far as it takes all of these, uh, uh, I don't know, rules of the world and whatnot, seriously. and Oh, I was just going to say, and uh, my wife Emily watched the first episode with Did me, she? and she was interested in was it. Was she? Uh, she? I don't necessarily think she enjoyed it as much as we all did, but yeah. she at least was intrigued more than the last time we watched an episode of television together, which was the first episode of season two of True Detective. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't even if, even if you're hungry. Yeah. So, uh, we were watching this episode uh, when it premiered on Sunday. And she was bringing up all the different properties that she's like, is this like a mix of this and this and this? And I'm like, actually, it kind of is. Like, she's like, is this supposed to be like Hunger Games meets the island meets? I'm like, it kind of is. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. (laughs) And that's actually, I mean, I feel like the trailer kind of undersold it because for me, the trailer kind of screamed like Wachowski-esque cyberpunk meets philosophical musings that... I think can be rewarding if done right, but sometimes can come off as stilted and not very, I don't know, uh, just not something I wanted to spend like hour after hour with. I thought that the the time that they did spend to world building outside of Westworld, like what is the context for that, where Anthony Hopkins is talking to 
I, I believe it's one of the, the chief engineers behind Westworld. And he's talking about all the things that they've been able to do. Like, f- frankly, the, 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 the society surrounding Westworld has grown to such a point that the only thing that they cannot do at this point is bring people back from the dead. And, he's, and he said that. <laughs> and but they're we're, trying. But we're already trying. It's like we're, yeah. we're, we're just on, on the cusp of that. And it's just like, have we just, like, capped out? Have we just, like... Is is there anything left for us to do? And I was like, oh yeah. fuck, that's a really fucked well, up. Well, and the the other thing that was very, I, w- I don't want to say disturbing, but very. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> There's some well, disturbing parts yeah. in this episode when they uh, discover the like slight quiver, or whatever, of the lip, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's that's uh, the know, reveries, right? Yeah. And that's like, oh, that was the big update. Uh, like it just made me feel like the Apple iPhone, where it's just like, look, we have a new screen. It's like. Mm-hmm the fuck like, yeah <laughs> i it, it was and it but it was when they brought up sort of uh the discussion between the the game maker and uh the the girl the woman who's actually running this whole show yeah. sort of maybe yeah. uh we, uh he has almost a discussion about how people well, anthony like, hopkins is running it isn't yeah, is he I, mean, I mean of course I mean, this is what's is, probably going to be developed does he he's, just think he, he's running he's it. old right. man architect i was yeah. gonna say there's i guess she's more business right. he's more obviously and he thinks he's running it but right. he i don't yeah. i don't think he but to to anyway. what i was just finishing that thought really quickly uh it was just very interesting hearing him the this younger guy who's you know running all these different storylines yeah. writing the scripts or whatever just hearing him uh, describe and it's just, uh, yeah. yeah. And I got to say, when uh, even though I was off put by the trailer, I ended up watching the pilot. The, the person I was most reminded of is Whedon in his element. Uh, yeah, with Dollhouse? Yes. I thought you were going to go for that. Yep. Yeah. And I know I'm one of the only like true Dollhouse defenders in the sense that I think is one of the best sci-fi shows ever written for TV. It's grown on me in subsequent only, viewings. Probably only because of the fact that we don't have that many good sci-fi TV shows to like truly pick from. I'm, mm. you know, I would love people to continue to write sci-fi shows and prove me wrong. Um, but yeah, this reminded me of that, where we have this uh, autonomy-like situation going on with these robots, and we're starting to question the validity of rights of their rights versus humans' rights mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, what I loved most about the pilot that I feel like the trailer just did not let on, so in case you're like me and you didn't think about this, is what you were describing uh, as far as like the same day thing, that these are not robots like in The Sims, where they're able to somehow live out full lives or no. anything like that. And These are robots that essentially relive the same narrative, unless it's changed by the narrative maker, uh, over and over and over. And or unless their, their characters change, as we yep. see with the father, who's played multiple characters over his lifespan. Yep. And that, like, that's what sold me, because of the fact that then it ends up becoming this meta-textual... Uh, rumination on television itself. I mean, we have a narrative maker who is insistent on running through these kind of procedural like uh, stories, and then you have these introductions of new storylines, and that the as status a, quo is constantly reverted. Yeah. What, what what I love too about what you're talking about right now is very interesting, uh, and I, I guess I didn't even put this entire thing together, but now that you're describing it exactly as you are. Uh, something we talked about earlier about the game maker being played at the end, uh, where the you know com- the person who's running the entire show and the game maker thinks he's creating something, 
But when the the person who's actually paying the money wants to do a certain thing, she sets him up to believe he's creating this grand thing with the guy from the mountains who's played by the guy from 300, which was uh, something. Uh, (laughs) And then all of a sudden the guy just shows up who's like uh, one of the guests and he shoots him. And then, honey, take my picture. Oh, (laughs) man. And my wife was like, this is so fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what the fuck is happening? Like, she's just... Like, taking photos with this corpse and everything, and then you have the other person who works there, uh, like, putting the robots to sleep so they can forget their... Oh, man. Yeah, that that, that last 10 to 15 minutes of this was a really good television. Yeah. I gotta say three things in succession, which mm-hmm. is that, A, I'm glad that, uh, and Alex helped me out here, the guy from Boardwalk Empire... Uh, uh, the guy who plays Dr. Narcisse, which is Jeffrey Wright? Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that somebody... I guess I haven't seen Boardwalk Empire, so I don't know if he was like a huge character, but... Uh, he was... Uh... Was he as big as what he is probably going to be in this? No. Okay. So I'm glad somebody decided to give him a more substantial role as far as more on-screen time, because I actually think he's quite underrated. Like, I've loved him in just about everything. Yeah, he was good in the Bond movies. The Bond movies, um, uh, the Hunger Games even. Like, he mm-hmm. actually stands out there with a pretty... You know, yeah, he plays a very character. interesting role in Boardwalk Empire because he's almost always a uh, a somewhat hero, and he can plays a com- a complete antagonist yep. in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, but yeah, and I think yeah. it's kind of to be decided what he's going to yeah. end up being in this show because yeah. he could either go one way or the other. Um, I also uh, I love this is probably one of even though I didn't really love the pilot I don't think it's an all time great pilot of television but it's certainly good uh, I absolutely love it's definitely an all time great ending to a pilot because yes. when you can rest an entire gesture with thematic meaning uh, narrative meaning and everything absolutely. with her slapping the fly that's how I know I'm in good hands and I'm excited to see <laughs> good hands because she slaps the fly with her hand or um, <laughs> when Teddy is on the train and he actually moves his hand underneath his coat and over his, his shoulder where he actually was shot oh shit yeah I did not even notice that yeah oh, like he, he, yeah he, like oh the, the whole point James Martin too yeah <laughs> That was the third point I was going to make, was that besides even the guy I just brought up with uh, from Boardwalk Empire, yeah. I thought this was a perfectly casted show. Uh, I thought uh, James Marsden is uh, so perfectly casted to the point where I totally bought him as a human being at first, and yet then the minute it was revealed that he was a host, I was like, yeah, I guess that actually makes way more he sense. Fe- it feels like a little bit like a like human version of Woody from Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm like, because at first I'm like, oh, wow, he's really into this. And then I'm like, oh, no, he's only into this because he's so programmed to be. Um, And I got to say also props to Evan Rachel Wood, who is a person I've always thought delivers great performances. And yet as a person is somewhat wooden. And so here (laughs) (laughs) she has. She's found her her role. I was going to say, like, it's. Well, now that being said, even though I haven't loved her uh, film performances, she has done great work for HBO previously in the Mildred Pierce miniseries. She was great in that. I thought she was probably her the apex, in my opinion, of what she can do with what she was given was uh, in The Wrestler as uh, okay, yeah. Mickey, Mickey Rourke's yeah. daughter. She was good there, uh, too. Cause, and that was great range of emotion here. But uh, because I always kind of find something off about her and it's not her fault, whatever, I unfortunately, I just think that that's perfect casting here. Uh, so, yeah, the only big gripe I have moving forward is just I really think the only thing that could go 
one way or the other as far as how much I'm gonna how much mileage I'll get out of it is the Ed Harris character, who I love as an actor and I love his performance as to what he's doing. But they, for me at least, they really need to address it quickly as to how he is operating in this place in the manner that he is. Yeah. I, we were talking about it before. Yeah. I think there's a good possibility that he just is after this wanting to play this grand scheme world thing, and they're just kind of feeding into that. There's but something up not. with him That's having what... scalped that character and like looked at that symbol. Underneath. I'm just yeah, saying we go through the I entire pilot where nobody talks about him, which, like, okay, maybe that's possible, but... For... Yeah, there, there is that... There is that one scene where he murders uh, Evan Rachel Wood's family and then rapes her in the bar. Right. So, and it's yes. not that I don't think that they would allow humans to indulge in their fantasies, mm-hmm. but he, by the end of the episode, he's going further than most of their human guests, yes. I would assume. And so I'm curious as to if this is such a high-tech situation, how they don't quite uh, – or maybe they do, and they need to at least acknowledge that they realize. Whether he is human or one of these – host that is operating on another level within the actual like meta of this world like he's still a really interesting character i'm looking forward to seeing his motivations unpacked right i was gonna say nothing i would say regarded as to what he is doing as a character i just want to see a little more as to the context of what the entire uh company thinks about apparently apparently westworld or the, the 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 sort of um speculative menageries that they've created this this delos uh corporation has existed for at least like three decades that's what ed harris was actually talking about he's like he says like i've been coming here for like 30 years and i was like what the fuck he's got no life i mean no i mean if he's got the money to be able to to go to westworld every year i would put money on some raping you know i would put money on that eventually let's say this has a long shelf life of a show uh, eventually we'll get like an Ed Harris flashback episode where we will essentially see, even if they cast like a different actor or something, mm. uh, but we'll see a younger version of Ed Harris's character. Dom Hell Gleason. Ooh, mm. I could see that. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing I was thinking about. The <laughs> success of this show could lie in the fact that if it continues the way it does and you have guests just showing up day by day, this could have a pretty good guest cast because in a lot of yeah. HBO productions, like you can't get away without it being too noticeable or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you have one, like an Oscar Isaac showing Walton up, Walton Goggins. Well, oh, don't even <laughs> tease me! Oh my god, no. huh, man! <laughs> now it has to happen. Uh, he'd be good here, he, and he obviously he got does, the Western experience. I was going to so. well, no, not a little bit, a oh, lot yeah. of it. He um, besides the hateful eight, he was a major, if not probably the best character on the show, uh, just. Which was a modern day Western. So he needs to show up now. <laughs> so I was going to say uh, the other thing that I'm looking forward to uh, on, a, on a little bit larger of a scale, which maybe we will, maybe we won't get. I would tend to think we probably will at some point. Uh, but the scene where they pretty much shut down the entire square to come in and clear off the uh, the corpses of all the bad product. And you see the uh, the murderer with the milk and the drooling, and he's about to stab milk was a bad choice. <laughs> milk to... was a bad choice. <laughs> he's about to stab that other host to death, and then they shut the whole square down, and you see the lights pop on. I mean, I would be so game for something like that, where you just see like the entire group of hosts just shut off mass and you just see all the people walking in trying to fix everything and well, oh, that man. i could see that being the way to reveal like 
all of a sudden another situation escalates and all of a sudden um you know they they order that sort of thing and somebody you thought would have been affected by it ends up not being and then there's a reveal that somebody is yeah. actually not a host i yeah. mean there's there's a, lot, there's a lot there there's like, and there's a lot them. of there's a lot from the checklist from shows before it, like Dollhouse mm-hmm. or Battlestar Galactica, which dealt with uh, the same exact idea of like um, cyber people, so to speak, mm-hmm. and human people living coexistently. And the, part of the fun of watching both of those shows was as you kept watching, you realized that at least one or two people you thought were human were actually cyber and whatnot. Um, speaking of... Now I sound like Donald Trump. No. <laughs> speaking of... <laughs> so good at cyber. <laughs> speaking of Dollhouse, I thought it was really interesting, the, the one scene where they've pretty much orchestrated that all of the hosts that have been infected with this new update, that they are just, like, wiping the slate clean, and you have Evan Rachel Wood's character, like, um, crying over Teddy, and you have, like, this one human host who has gone there and is like and basically gives her like a code word which becomes like the the west world equivalent of like would you like your treatment now and basically yeah. like makes her like go to sleep so how about, how about yep. the kind of and i they I, even have that yes i'm sorry no that's just, okay but you're exactly right in the sense that both shows employ that kind of code phrase as yeah. far as it was a longer code phrase though yeah, yeah. Anyway. how about the how about the revelation at the end of this episode uh whether it be intentionally supposed to be like a a big deal, or it was supposed to just be uh, maybe a big deal, but it was kind of a throwaway comment that Evan Rachel Wood's character, uh, her is host, the is the oldest in the current uh, collection, which is yeah. very. I mean, are uh, they. It, that, that only works as far as, like, I'm interested in that to a degree. Which is if, what I'm saying. It, it, it seems like. If it means like it that she's like, a, like the Joan of Arc, or so yeah, to speak, of these know. robots. That's sort of like. That that, that that makes sense, I guess, with uh, Ed Harris's character if he is human, and it's like why we'd have the longest relationship with yeah. this one yeah. host in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll There's see. There's a lot here. Should we all kind of say right between the three of us that uh, maybe we'll do a season one check in when the season is over? Let's I'd all be down. Commit yeah. to watching all ten episodes, no matter what. I'd be down. And then doing a sure. do a little episode if I can find a means to uh, to watch all. Of them. Come over to my house. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You can have a means if you want a means. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 Well, some to look forward to down the road, I think. Right. Yep. So, and and if you haven't, uh, you know, had a chance, or say, you haven't had the means yet, we all agreed that everybody should watch the pilot. No, oh. I, I absolutely think they should. Yeah. And I, I think that this is definitely a series that you should devote an entire season to to see where it goes. And maybe if you get to the end and you're not interested anymore, you can jump off. For but... as long as this this show has taken to actually get on its feet, you owe it at least to, yeah. to try to follow along. And I'll it. say someone who knows a lot about TV, um, the fact that it's Jonathan Nolan is kind of the uh, head uh, poncho as far as I can see and not someone like J.J. Abrams, who I respect and like. But Jonathan Nolan is a person who took a premise like person of interest and morphed it into one of the richest mythology on TV on CBS of all channels. So if he can do that with a boring procedural on a senior citizen channel, then I genuinely cannot wait to see what he can do on a uh, on a network that will truly let him. And too, why. if if it's a network to where they have went out of their way to show this. If you show a return in terms of people interested in your show, you're going to get more and more money. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. So. yeah. That's how HBO works. Mm, pretty much. Look yeah. at fucking Game of Thrones. That's why they're I mean. called the home box office. They're all about money. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's like they're a fucking business. Well, that's not actually why they were named that, but that's no. okay. No, try. I think that's why they were named that. <laughs> sure. Okay. So moving on to the uh, the film we're talking about today. No, I want to discuss that. <laughs> no. No I, no, I have more to say on that. Wrong. It's called Gina. <laughs> Did you guys watch the SNL clip of that, by the way? Oh, no. God, that was wonderful. <laughs> you didn't see it? No, I didn't see oh, it. Oh, that's too bad. Her and Barack went to, went to Kenya and broke my microphone. <laughs> that was good. Oh, I, anyway. have to, I have to really quickly just mention the one part of that when he goes on this tirade and says something uh, very specific about Hur- uh, Hurley. Hillary. <laughs> Hurley from Lost? <laughs> no, about Hillary. And what's his name? The uh, the moderator, oh, God. Lester, Lester Holt. And Lester Holt redirects to Hillary, and Hillary, what do you think about this? And she just like laughs and goes, yeah. "I think I'm going to be president." Yeah, <laughs> it's about right. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. So the film we are talking about on this episode is the 1981 film Possession, which is directed by. Andre Zulaski and stars Isabel Ajani and Sam Neill. Uh, the film centers around a woman who is exhibiting increasingly disturbing behavior after asking her husband for a divorce. That's for sure. Suspicions of infidelity soon give way to something much more sinister. Uh, this film is a drama slash horror film, and has this been remade in any way from no no okay i can't imagine there's a movie can. called possession but, but it's not but it has no relation okay and uh yeah nick uh, gave us a little bit of a description on this last week as he was the one who brought uh, this film to the table for this episode so i guess why don't you start us off and and tell us more about how you came to really love this film and just your overall feelings about it yeah i discovered this movie uh through online friends who i kind of threw it out there about over a year ago uh that i wanted to get more into horror films but i didn't want horror films that were like explicitly scary which makes me sound like a baby no it's like the the inception of your entire Like and, arc. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's like I, I just wanted to at least ease into it. And then, of course, this was the first one that I chose after someone recommended it. And they, Jesus. Yeah, and um, uh, Letterbox user, actually, Sally Jane Black, mm-hmm. recommended Possession to me. And uh, she was absolutely right in the sense that this was completely up my alley. I remember watching this on a, a, a legal copy that I downloaded. <clears throat> uh, and, um, I remember watching this on my computer, and I, it takes a lot for me to truly get glued to my computer screen as far as to watch a full-length movie on it. Um, and I pressed play and did not stop until the credits. I, it was unlike anything I had seen before, even if I could clearly see influences mm-hmm. and, and what it had influenced. Um, but it was just so engrossing. And... It, it's kind of, I would say, even though it's only recently that I've been going on like a horror binge, mm-hmm. I think this is truly what unlocked my uh, at least subtle love for the horror genre, which is that horror is so much more than the scares it might produce. Like, it, it is a genre in which you can explore so much if you just give it a chance, and I think that's totally true in this movie. Uh, this is a movie that is <clears throat> one of the most profound human dramas about human relationships and the need for communication and how we project our own insecurities on the people we uh, 
<laughs> presumably love and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what I absolutely love about this movie is that even if you take away the horror elements, it still works for me at least uh, as a just disturbing and just uh, unapologetic uh, rumination on the way that um, we kind of tear each other down in, in, in an effort to to get through daily life. I, I think what makes it work as a horror film and why I would still classify it as a horror film is that this is a movie in which that Andrzej Zawoski, who famously wrote this movie and directed it, but wrote it after his own divorce. Just a uh, coincidence. Yeah. You can't read anything into that. Um, is that this is uh, it's a horror movie in which the movie acknowledges that the only horror in real life is horror of our own making, and, and you know so and I think that holds true when you uh, when you watch it or rewatch it, which is that the the two central characters are obviously <laughs> two characters that are going through some stuff <laughs> and um, and and that are trying to save their marriage, but all of the most uh, horrific things are essentially only things of their own doing uh you know uh uh and i'm not saying that there are no external uh uh things at play here because we can certainly talk about certain things like miscarriages or uh the idea that obviously the horror to a child is different than the one of an adult because a child has things inflicted upon them and an adult is someone who inflicts things upon themselves and that's just i don't know it's just such a powerful theme to me and i think this movie absolutely nails all that i i think it's a joy to watch. Like, I think it's kind of funny in a lot of places. I think it's truly terrifying, not in a scary way, but in a, like, I shouldn't be watching this kind of, like, sickening way when we see Isabel and Johnny's performance, who famously did win uh, the Best Actress at uh, Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and I think for good reason. Uh, that subway scene is, like, was seared into my brain the minute I watched it. And what's so good about that scene, and I'll say this before I pass it off, is that it is that scene is and sure if you're not into this movie i can totally understand it's it's got a singular wavelength that you could watch this and just not if you're go not all if in. you're not on it then yeah. you're going to just get flung to the wayside which and and that's not a, a reflection on the viewer so much as this movie is only interested in being exactly what it is this film reminded me very much of uh, the film we watched uh, 3 or 4 months ago with David Thule's called Naked. Naked, yes. Yeah, um, that is, uh, yeah, I can see that. And not necessarily because of the content, yeah. although there are a few similarities here and there. But uh, just the, the overall feeling among the film and the tone of it uh, very much kind of reminded me is it, it's one of those films that feels tedious to watch, but not in the, like, boring way. No, for sure. And... That makes me interested what you'll have to say when we when we get to you. But that subway scene is probably the encapsulation of what I love about this movie, which is that when, when the subway scene is happening and uh, Johnny is given her performance, like for me at least, I'm completely on board. I'm just kind of in awe, both on a just a technical level as far as wow, some, you know, she really gave it her all. She is uh, not letting anything, you know, uh, hide and. But the fact that the movie can also recontextualize the horror in a very mundane and just sad way, because we, and in a series, this movie is a series of fantastic cuts. I mean, the transitions mm-hmm. in this movie are almost like a dark comedy if they aren't so stark and kind of horrific. But when it cuts from her subway scene to her just flat out, 
talking about her miscarriage, like the way that the movie can recontextualize what we're watching and and make us even feel bad if we're on this wavelength for a second to think that this is hokey or this is whatever. It, it just I've talked about this word before, but this movie has so much empathy for its two central characters. Mm. I think, uh, despite without actually condoning either one of their actions against each other, so. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of this movie, so I'll pass it It would on. appear that way. I'll go next. Uh, I watched this film uh, almost exactly a year ago with yeah. Nick. That's uh, when you got the... The, yeah, the Blu-ray. You got the Blu-ray. We for. actually watched it. Uh, what a double bill. We watched it the day we all, all three of us, went and saw Ex Machina. Oh, we, okay. Me yeah. and Tucson came home, and, we, and I'm like, hey, I just watched this like the night before mm-hmm. we had done this, and I want to watch it again. So yeah. do you want? So anyway. Yeah, I was not prepared for that film at all, <laughs> and I don't think I was. We, we actually just watched it again, like Nick and I and Alex for the first time, like watched it before we recorded this episode, and I wasn't prepared back then and i'm not sure if i was i'm prepared now because it's just it's something that has always existed in the back of my mind for the past year that i really it was such a visceral like viewing experience that i've just there's nothing else that really compares to it like watching sam neill who my whole conception of him exists as jurassic park or the movie daybreakers and i i just he's got such a weird like low-key sort of of, of career about him where like he can pop up in something like this that's so iconic and then he has maybe two other films and then he just subsumed into the it background is, with a bunch of slock that nobody actually cares about. It, it is very telling that when they tried to find somebody to stick in that third Jurassic Park film, he's the one who showed up. <laughs> yeah, they... Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> this, this film, uh, I, I have to agree with, with Nick on this. I, I do believe that it does have a lot of empathy for its two uh, central protagonists in that it it really is it, it feels like i'm it, it doesn't just feel like i am watching the disintegration of a marriage and i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because these two people come off as pretty horrible and they really shouldn't be together or around other human beings just because they bring out the worst in each other and they abuse their child not through like actual physical or emotional abuse yeah. but just through outright neglect this is one of the best like examples of collateral damage yeah. to, to a child uh, as a product when of he marriage. walks in uh after sam neil comes in when it, 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 it's kind of a weird feel on the timeline at that point early in the film when he comes in after his weird uh, oh is that after he was like yeah like, he was in the he was yeah. in the hotel in, in tucson pretty much hit oh, right been here well, Tucson had to run on the head when he was in the hotel. Is it looked like he was just coming off of a, of a. Of a he looks like he was coming off of a bender. Like yeah. he, he was, he, he he was coming off of like some type of addiction. And right. I and I joked. It was like it's like, oh man, you look like shit. You only been here for like twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> but he comes in. We have no idea in terms of the actual timeline how long the mother's been gone. The, the kid has ketchup or whatever all over him. It's Just hard. all types of yeah. sauces and so shit. So he, like, walks in the room and comes back with this big boat that I just, like, felt like that he, like, built or something like that or got as a gift that I couldn't tell. He just walks out with it. I'm like, oh. That was a gift from Heinrich. <laughs> He's man. a little well, too preoccupied with the high seas, let me tell you. Oh, man. Oh, fuck you. Oh, that's dark. And another thing about this film is that it's, it's, it, it's hilarious, but I don't think it's... 
is it is this film trying to play it straight or is it like theatrical in it? I in, think in it's playing that, it up. This is why it's one of my all time favorites. It's very similar to something like The Shining, which mm-hmm. is like a movie I can understand someone seeing as a comedy yeah. uh, because it is so absurd that and it, but it's taking itself so seriously in that theater of the absurdity that it is funny. I think at a lot of I mean. I think some of this is intentionally comedy. When Heinrich yells at him in the bathroom, I'm the one that's wounded, not you. Like, there are. Or, like, (laughs) when the kids come running out of the school and Samuel just kicks the soccer ball away. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Biff Tannen. And I think that's actually what makes this feel all too kind of painful and relatable is that. um, You could see somebody be that petty. Yes, exactly. There is pretty much pettiness, is exactly what I was talking about. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, I I felt awful laughing about those same scenes as I did a year ago because at least a year ago I had the the benefit of it being just so shocking. <laughs> yeah. But I still find them funny, and I don't know if that reflects poorly on me or for the nature of the film that it like having Sam Neill rock back and forth in that in, in that chair. Oh yeah. When his uh, when his wife comes back and is like, "I am staying. You can leave." <laughs> And here's one more thing I'll say about, like, because that's actually one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. The cinematography in this movie is so great. So great. But here's a microcosm of how great the cinematography is, which is in that scene in which Sam Neill is rocking in that chair. Um, he is out of focus in the center of his trip. Yes. You know, like, he is actually in clear focus when he's all the way back in the deep. Uh, sh- whatever you call it, and he's always in focus in the shallow part of the frame. And so for him to literally to to sway back and forth and to – I just think that's so brilliant that he becomes unfocused in the center and that he uh, – I mean, you know, just to, to add to that instability of his character and, and his marriage is just little things like that that are just creepy looking and yet also thematically relevant. What about the uh, 360 shot of him – early on in the film like talking to his uh, supervisors yeah that was fantastic that was yep. awesome yeah yeah. this yeah. is a, yeah this is a movie that I will say the camera never stopped calling attention to itself but for good reason and mm-hmm. I uh, brought up uh, Emmanuel Lubezki during when we were watching the film is clearly yeah. he probably has seen this film and other films from this cinematographer because the way he follows the characters through the room almost with that weird in between of being like a floating Blair Witch yeah. handicap. Like but there's the someone same, else there. Yeah. Yep. But at the same time, feeling still, it's just a very weird middle ground yep. that uh, the cinematographer, which I don't remember his name offhand, was able to find. Yeah. It's uh, when you pair that up with the editing, because I don't think yeah. the cinematography would work as well as it does sure. if the editor wasn't in complete control of how it flows from one scene to a scene. But when when you have that kind of free-flowing camera, and then all of a sudden you have these extremely, I would say, haunting, stark close-ups, which the camera doesn't move uh, whatsoever, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff here to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that this was a, it's a great film. Honestly, I, I enjoy even the creature effects because even though the creature is supposed to be like one of the main draws of this film was like, it's, it's not really the, the thing that pulls me to it. But every time I see it, it's just like, oh my God, that's the grossest looking shit I've ever seen in that my was life. And I love the it. the biggest thing in this movie that was actually kind of, uh, in a, in a manner of speaking, outsourced. Like, that, they literally, Zawalski and the production team reached out to, and I don't know the name of whoever did it, but to an American uh, person who does, who is known for his creature effects. So maybe we can figure who out, 
figure out who that was. But I just love the idea that he wanted kind of everything just right in his movie, and he wanted this American schlocky uh, look to the character, but with practical effects to m- mesh with his kind of foreign sensibilities uh, t- with the narrative. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna just pass it off to Alex. Uh, just okay. Get a get a feel for for what you felt about this just film before you say anything. This is like one of the rare movies where I have no idea what you're going to say right now, and I'm excited. Okay. Uh, I have to say about this film that, uh, in general, I enjoyed what this movie was doing. Uh, For the most part, though, uh, some of the parts that went way out of the box lost me a little bit. Um, Maybe that's because of my conventional brain that enjoys stories that are told well in in a certain way, but... Uh, I think this is definitely one I'll, I'll need to see again. Uh, definitely like a film like Persona that I won't say that I, I loved either of them, but definitely something I'm interested in watching again. Uh, I think it's the small details in here that definitely kept my attention and kept me interested going forward. Uh, seeing the, the major scenes involving the creature, which you guys have already hit on, the first time you see it is just like a, oh, where the fuck, how do we end up here? Uh, and then you have the scene when the creature is either having sex or raping the main character. Oh, no, they're having sex. Well, I know they're having sex. Consensual but... sex. I, yeah. That's... Consensual okay. squid sex. Okay. At least in my interpretation. I... No, and, and, but, yeah. and, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> is it consensual when the creature has like mentally has control? I don't know. It, it's it's weird. Uh, <laughs> the 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 very good close up, uh, which is actually one of my favorite parts of the film, and uh, I made reference to it earlier on when uh, we see the uh, the teacher who oddly has a very keen resemblance to his wife so weird i I know the makeup team is so good yeah and i actually made a mention of how oddly green her eyes were and then we see the (laughs) creature also has those exact same green eyes yep and uh yeah i love Uh, that with uh, sorry no i was just gonna say obviously not on accident i was gonna say i love what this says about men and women (laughs) that men are more easily fooled by this bullshit preconception of like trying to uh, replace their significant other and Mm -hmm. like because you clearly see isabella johnny's character like they literally uh when sam neill discovers her having sex uh with this creature she's literally looking at him saying almost almost and this is something that's been going on for quite some time now whereas like he's able to fall basically i wouldn't say in love but he's able to fall for uh his son Bob's teacher, which uh, I love the name Bob because it's such an adult name yeah. in this Bob. modern age. Yeah, that it's just so creepy. But yeah, it's the the whole the whole shebang is is even to the like really bizarre uh, foreshadowing about the the pink socks on the guy he's after, and then he ends up being the guy at the end who's mm. who's chasing after him, which is yep. something. Uh, to the to the guy Heinrich, who's just this really outlandish character, who clearly was uh, was someone who influenced Jillian uh, Flynn when she created Neil Patrick Harris's character in Gone Girl. <laughs> but he's much better at Taekwondo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you see him drowning in a toilet full of shit at the end of the movie. And there you go. That's People are different. drowning in a lot of things. <laughs> um, just, oh man! So there's poor Heinrich's mother. Yeah. There's uh there's there's so much here for you, um, and I have to say that although I, I 
I enjoyed it, and uh, unlike a film like Naked, that although I was into some of it, uh, I could honestly say I don't ever need to watch that again. I'd be interested to see this film again, but for the most part, uh, this isn't necessarily a film for me. So I, My biggest thing before I showed it to you was that I thought this might have been a repeat of The Neon Demon. Okay. I would say that, at least for me, like that I think they're kind of similar in the sense that I think The Neon Demon is technically a horror film. Uh, I, now whether you think it's effective or not, that's completely different. Uh, but I think this film has a way better focus than the Neon Demon does. I would actually agree with that. Yeah. Um, but I, I was I was wondering if we were uh, gonna go down that road because I could understand anybody watching this particular movie and the Neon Demon and just not giving a fuck because <laughs> it's not you know uh, I don't know it's just not trying to I think I think there's a lot more cinematic relevance here than in the neon I, I would agree mm-hmm. with that so yeah so uh, I actually took the time to look up the yes. special effects director his name is Carlo Rambaldi he is actually an Italian citizen but he is most oh. well known he's most well known for working on such films as the 1976 King Kong and for working on Ridley Scott's Alien and E.T. Okay. That's what I was thinking, because I knew whether he's an American or not, mm-hmm. which is irrelevant because we're all people and I love everybody. Uh, but that that at least Zawalski was trying to tap into the American sensibility of uh, of creature features. I would say he did, yeah. yeah. It's definitely uh, it, it, it's on that same level of uh, animatronic detail. Yeah. Uh, and it's also a lot more fucking gross than. Oh yeah, uh, no, and that's what makes it beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 so much goop. It it it's like <laughs> the most perverse version of Audrey Two from Little Shop of Horrors. I'm just waiting for the plant or creature to say, "Feed me." So, um, we we see the creature sort of having this red and uh, green ooze coming out from the bed, and then we mm-hmm. see the exact same. Uh, thing happened to I. Well, I can't remember the Anna. character's name right Anna, now. Anna yep. in the in the subway scene, which is uh, definitely one of one of the scenes that you'll remember from. I was going to say you won't film. forget it. No, <laughs> love it or hate it. Yeah, um, and that is uh, definitely not the ending I was expecting from that scene because I <laughs> thought it was pretty not conventional or anything like that. But I was like, oh, she's going crazy in the subway, and that's yeah. kind of par for the oh. oh. Yep. But and then it's it's not like it 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 definitely. I hate to say it, but it, it seems like a cool plays <laughs> the uh, that moment there at the end because it's not like it's this sewing this thing crawling out of her or something like that. It just kind of happens. Oh so, yeah. yeah, and it's this disgusting mix of uh, like I was speaking earlier of like the mundane as far as like if we can get real for a minute. Well, let's, <laughs> let's get real. Let's get film tank. Let's three, get real. Three men's talking about a period. Uh, <laughs> But if we can liken it to a real body, uh, shall we say, uh, moment, yeah. uh, it reminds me of something like Carrie, where it takes something, because uh, in that movie, uh, you know, uh, Carrie, uh, let's just say the blood <laughs> I know, yeah. comes I... from a lot of different places yeah. and uh, whatnot. But it, it takes a real life uh, analog, so to speak, mm-hmm. and it infuses it with that green dye, and it becomes this un- inseparable mix of both what is real and what is not, but also just what is, unfortunately, human nature and what seems like pure evil. Yeah, yeah but uh, there are some parts of that are just completely – I was not able to 
to catch on to with that that specific part of that scene because the coming out from under her dress and the the mouth okay but when from it starts, every orifice when it when it starts pouring out of her, out hair. Of her ears it, i yeah. felt like it was that was that was something oh uh, yeah and i'm not saying that zuowski himself wasn't indulgent in this movie i mean this is a movie that goes all in and further than i would have ever thought someone would go for um <laughs> So I'm I'm with you there in the sense mm-hmm. that it's 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 excessive, uh, yeah. But it's that excessiveness that makes me giddy as a film viewer. True. I really appreciated being able to watch this film over a year ago because I believe in the last year uh, Zulowski actually has passed away. Yep. And I think it was almost, if not the same week, if not the week exactly after uh, the band Massive Attack actually released a music video called Voodoo My Blood starring uh, Roseman Pike, which is, yep. in many ways, it, it is a... Um, it's inspired by that same scene from Possession, so I was really glad that I could actually have the opportunity to like and clue into that. I was like, oh, I see what they're going for. You know, I already had my mention earlier about Neil Patrick Harris's character from Gone Girl, mm-hmm. but the more I thought about it after seeing this film, the more connections that I feel like are there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of throat slitting, and uh, when and first you talk of all, about uh, talk about marriage and infidelities oh, and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I think we need to really talk about the skills of a one private investigator in this movie. <laughs> that <laughs> I love, I love He's how delightful. inconspicuous he is. It's great. He's so good at his job. He, the, if, the the old window investigator. <laughs> I know, and he doesn't even investigate all the windows because we clearly see later on in the movie that the, these windows are like double windowed, and you have the inside windows and outside windows. But I love that even his boss like goes up the stairs of the wrong apartment and, and just quickly goes backtracks and goes back down. How about the revelation <laughs> then that apparently his boss and he are are lovers? Is that oh yeah okay yeah. oh yeah and and while he is in his weird. Number two from Austin Powers suit. <laughs> that uh, shiny ass suit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shiny suit theory. It's either that the or Lucky Charms. It's either that or Will Ferrell's suit in Night at the Roxbury. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. Emilio. The Mighty Duck Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. The part where he saws into his own hand with the. Ooh, that is a good part. The the electric knife. Every time I see that scene with the electric knife, I feel like she's going to stab him, but she never <laughs> does, and that yep. still fucking freaks me out. That is another – okay, that's a great point because that's another way that I actually – I completely – I'm on board with this movie as a horror film because it does subvert your expectations where the minute we see her with the electric knife, we keep thinking that, oh, where how is this going to end? Someone's going to get stabbed. <laughs> and it's, of course, it's like her putting it down and, you know, and going with the meat grinder and then we're like, oh, how is this going to end? Whatnot. Uh, which, by the way, I got to say, I'm I'm very proud of the school teacher for cleaning up the the meat and the uh, the electric carver. That's how about not her that? fucking job? How, no, how about that though? That was something. <laughs> that, that was, was great. great. I, I love how you even asked us about that, and I was about to say that'll get answered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, but I and I love that scene uh, in which, unfortunately, um, she takes the 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 electric carver to her neck and whatnot, and uh, and Sam Neill's character takes her into the bathroom, and that's another reason why I absolutely love this movie i think it's a pretty good not like a definitive but a pretty good representation of how uh mental illness can go wrongly 
supported in a couple because when when you're in a relationship, you want certain things from your partner, and those things can easily conflict with what they actually need. And, uh, and, that, and that's kind of a scary thought because they're the person who's essentially supposed to be there for them and, yeah. and, and give them exactly what they need. Uh, but the the way they two the the two of them bounce off of each other and when and he's kinda has her up against the wall and he's saying Bob needs you and whatnot, which is kind of a telling thing because he's not saying I need you, which is kinda sad. Um uh, I love all that, but the other thing I love about this movie is the reveal, so to speak, of the monster essentially is Sam Neill. And of course he had already arrived to his own conclusion of what uh, you know, uh, he 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 allows the school teacher, who is of course played by Isabella Johnny, mm-hmm. uh, to essentially assume that domestic role that his wife was fulfilling, and he's completely okay with that. And not just domestic role in the sense of doing dishes and taking care of Bob, but also sexually fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that in trying to save a, a dysfunctional marriage, you might do more harm than than not, because at the end of the day you'll kill yourselves and let the real monster take over. I mean, that's essentially the ending when yeah. when uh, the child is trying to tell... Don't open. Yes. I mean, that is one of the most haunting scenes I've seen in any movie. Then horror. he goes and just dives in the bathtub and we don't ever see his head come up from the water. No. And uh, yeah, and, and not only that, but the, 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 the war sirens are kind of going off. Yeah. And, and I will admit, every time I watch this movie, I, I always get the thought that, oh, I should really read up on more, like... Where does this movie take place? West, West East? Berlin. West right? Berlin. They're right. looking at the Berlin, Berlin Wall. Yeah, yeah. But I, I will admit right now that I'm not a very Berlin Wall aficionado. Right. I'm just, I'm just a horrible person when it comes to actually like, <laughs> no, it's fine. like knowing current events or past events, oh, whatever. Yeah, I was gonna say that's not quite current events. No, no, no but. but um, we are but, living in 1981 now. Speaking saying, to you from the future. Yeah, well, in the 1930s, yeah. the 1930s voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, while I like, if I don't know Kerman, I sure as hell don't know historical events. Okay, and gotcha. um, so it's like every time I think like I should read more about West Berlin to kind of get a slightly more context, I, I always stop myself there because I feel like if I truly knew more, then it might like dispel mystery and the surrealness of what's happening. Happening. But that final image of the the war siren kind of going off, which is eerily sh- uh, foreshadowed by the child himself, because he cannot stop doing that inu, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, siren song. Uh, it's just a really creepy ending. Yeah, uh, two things I want, want. One a comment, one a question. Yep. Uh, the comment I had is that uh, there were a couple parts in this film that reminded me of a film that I really liked that we saw at Sundance called Under the Shadow. Yes. Um, mm. and, and that's uh, definitely, I would say, uh, obviously there's a lot of symbolism there, but a lot more of a literal film. The symbolism uh, is a little more blunt, and I don't mean that as an insult. But just yeah. as far as it's very no. easy to pick out one by one. It is. What it uh, is. At, at the same time, it's, I feel like, a lot more of people, uh, there will be a lot more people who would sit down and watch that, I think, and enjoy it um, yep. than, than people who are cinephiles who yeah. would gravitate probably more towards something like this. Yes. Because uh, if you don't understand what's happening in Under the Shadow, as far as on a 
parallel level as to mm-hmm. what was happening back then, you'll still enjoy it, I would yeah. think, as a horror film. But there's a lot happening there in terms of, uh, like you were talking about with West Berlin, with uh, the, the uh, event that's happening. It's, it's, is it Iran or Iraq? I think it's Iran, isn't it? Uh, oh, uh, you're talking about... Under the <laughs> I thought you were no. talking about possession. <laughs> no, like, we're talking about either. West Berlin and <laughs> possession. No, it's Iran. Okay, very good. I, wanted, I, I thought... <laughs> I was like, did we watch the same movie? Yeah. What conflict was that? <laughs> We're going to talk about that next what week. What wall was that? Oh, God. Uh, the question <laughs> the I had... China. The China. <laughs> the question the China wall. The China just, wall. Just the China. Okay, that China. Uh, so the question I was going to ask, because um, I, I still haven't been able to really tease this out, is what was the symbolism behind uh, the main character, Anna, uh, wearing the exact same dress throughout the entire film and never really changing her appearance or outfit. Do you want to answer? Do you, want me to? you answer. Okay, so my thoughts, and I do think before I say my thoughts, this is a movie in which I love it because I genuinely think all three of us could sit here and give a different answer, and I would believe yours and believe yours and believe mine, and okay. of course I would be right, but <laughs> I'm kidding. But so I, true. I, I would say besides the fact that she wears the same dress, I would say a lot of characters wear at least similar clothing, if not the same clothing in many scenes. But um, I definitely think that that is indicative of the way these the, the central couple uh, is unable to get past. Uh, what they're currently dealing with, uh, and, and especially the way she sheds it almost when she goes in bed with a monster, like that is the only time she can. It seems like she's truly at, I wouldn't say at peace, but she's able to pretend like she's not this person. And how, mm-hmm. how about in this, especially if we're on the uh, operating on the landscape that Sam Neill is ultimately the monster yep. uh, that Heinrich starts to take his shirt off when he comes around <laughs> him at, at, at the first Heinrich time. does not know how to keep his fucking shirt on. <laughs> Heinrich doesn't fuck around, let me tell you. He's, <laughs> I, I made a joke when we were watching this that Heinrich, the, the guy who plays it, who I think is uh, Hans Bennett? I think that's his name. Um, that he's one of my favorite supporting characters ever, and I'm half joking in the sense that there are a lot of other supporting characters that are actually wonderful. But I love him; he's great. Every time I watch this movie, I still get more and more delighted by the guy who plays Heinrich and the way he I just. I mean, his delivery of when he's when Sam Neill first confronts him, and he's like, "Do I have to break the door down?" And he's like, "Well, no, it's already open." Ah! <laughs> like, That's good. Like, yeah. Did you notice that your wife was distant? <laughs> because that was when we were at our greatest sexually. Yeah. And then it starts beating the shit out of this guy who's supposed to be a secret agent <laughs> with like this uh, this flamboyant kung fu, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, and he, oh uh, god, and just the way. But the I don't movie, know why. I, I don't know yeah. why I just thought of this, but for some reason. I just when you just said that and the way you said it, all I could think of was Keanu Reeves and the Matrix turning around and just saying, "I oh, know jujitsu." Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Nick. Uh, no, that's pretty much yeah. Oh, <laughs> and uh, and I love how the movie even kind of starts by the end to deconstruct him because at first it seems like, oh, I guess maybe he is the enlightened one, and mm. if Sam Neill was more like him, he maybe could save his marriage or whatever. But by the end of the movie, it's clear that uh, none of these men are going to save Isabella Johnny, nor should they, because – and that's ultimately why I think – maybe I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I think this might be a feminist film more than it is. Because I think mm. – as much as I think that this movie has empathy for both of its central uh, protagonists uh, in Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny, I think ultimately it's 
it's telling that Zawalski wrote this and directed it, but wrote this after his divorce because it seems to be a pretty wonderful and enlightening look at the demonizing of a woman after you've been separated in the sense mm-hmm. that you think that, you know, all their actions are unexplainable and all their, uh, the people they are with are monsters. And you don't realize that, you know, <laughs> and this is horrible to say, but the true monster is you. And, yeah. um, and you know, just that. Sim- Maybe you're, you're the asshole. <laughs> yes. Maybe you're the squid monster. And this movie, I wouldn't say excuses like everything that she does or anything like that, but that you cannot pretend that because you're kind of in a privileged position that whatever you do is right. Because like the way he kind of thinks he's coming to his own son's rescue when Isabella Johnny is clearly neglecting uh, his child, uh, their child, I should say. Uh, but just because he's doing that, like that's the bare minimum of what he should do. Mm. That's not him being a and better how, person. Speaking of neglect, how about him just being like, I don't ever want to see Bob again, so I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. So it's not like he's actually... He's using any- Bob as, as a as a... As a piece on a chessboard, that's in order never to, that's never been done before. In order to, yeah. to fuck, in, in order in order to sort of like gain at this emotional game that he's playing with Anna is like these these two horribly codependent emotional manipulators who are just constantly digging into each other. If we do want to talk about the the subway scene, how about Sam Neill chasing her through the restaurant, tearing through those oh tables? Oh my god, that was I, great! God, the chef number two is <laughs> probably one of my favorite extras in a movie <laughs> ever. It's the fact that they're wearing... Birdie, 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 birdie. It's the fact that they're wearing those tall chef hats. I know, it's really so <laughs> great. But when they run out, and like at first I'm like... Waiting in the adjacent room, just ready to fuck some shit up. The first I watched this movie, I, I was finding it kind of comical. But when you <laughs> like genuinely see a grown man jump on four or three other grown men to like dogpile and make sure that Sam Neill keeps his cool, like that that that's just that's when the movie won me over. I yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot I think to unpack here. Once a lot of things that you know can't even come out in a single episode or whatever. Yeah. But uh, overall, I'm just curious. I want to ask one more question before sure. we go to any kind Let's of final do, it. do Do you guys, because I've kind of already said my piece on this, but do both of you, and I could see it going either way, do you think of this as a horror movie or not? I could see how this has been intended as a horror film. I see it more as a drama. Like the horror aspect just kind of like the the horror aspect is a result of just watching the theatricality of this. It's more aesthetic uh, than it. Yeah, it, it's more more aesthetic in 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 watching this uh, relationship sort of just disintegrate. It's like watching these two horrible people like tear apart at each other and themselves. Like that's that's the real horrifying part of it. Not the fucking squid monster. Yeah, there's there's the dead bodies in the in the in the refrigerator and shit and the the. The, the fucking the squid and, and it's like but besides that it's like it, it's really more of a drama in my in my mind yeah uh i would classify this as a horror film only um because i would classify other films not necessarily exactly like this but have a lot of thematic relevance throughout that are trying to do a lot more things than is actually on the screen 
The Shining uh, being a good example. Another film that I didn't care for is you. Everyone pretty well knows it, it follows yeah. uh, trying to do a lot of things that aren't necessarily surrounded around the actual visuals you're seeing on the screen. So I, I think this taps into a lot of a different horror slash terror part of the genre, but uh, certainly I would classify it as a horror film. Oh, just curious. Definitely more uh, of a horror film than Don't Breathe, in my opinion. <laughs> that's why I was curious, because we had that conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. That's more... That one's... And uh, I can have this discussion all day, but <laughs> uh, that was more of a dramatic thriller for me than... than I mean, I would, I would any day of the week. I guess I will admit that I would more, fight f- more for this than I would for something like Don't Breathe. So, yeah. so would I. So yeah. cool. You guys want to go to ratings? Um, yeah, I'll start off since I probably have the least to say and uh, the least thoughts about this film. Uh, I still enjoyed this, and I thought it was uh, definitely a really good film. Uh, I'm a real big sucker for uh, a lot of um, you know technical elements of films. I thought. Uh, interesting use of music here, which is for the most part silent throughout. And then we have musical scoring at very interesting parts of it. Uh, we have great camera work. We have uh, terrific cinematography and editing as Nick uh, and the rest of us have alluded to before. And also you have a, a very interesting story here from start to finish. That isn't really necessarily my bag, but at the same time, that was just a good film and Sam Neill, much younger Sam Neill, uh, doing his best Hugo Weaving voice impression throughout. Uh, I, I was I was a fan for the most part, so uh, not necessarily my favorite, but a three out of five for me for uh, this film, which is Possession. Sorry, yeah. I blanked on the title for a second. <laughs> wah, wah. All right, when you guys can go next. Um, I would give this film a four out of five. I think that just coming back to it for a second time is really just affirmed, like how much I really did enjoy this film the initial time and how much I enjoyed it a second time. And I think that I'm always going to be able to come back. It, 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 it's a, it's a rare sort of film that I can come back to it and feel as bewildered and shocked and entertained by it as I was the first time I saw it over a year ago in almost the exact same way. And also bring new sorts of reactions with alongside new audience members like to the table. So I'm just really looking forward to eventually maybe coming back to us to this a year from now and just like further unpacking this onion of, of fucked up relationships. You said onions. So now I'm just thinking of ogres have layers, just like (laughs) onions, like Shrek. I like how he's explaining that to Eddie Murphy too. That's good. God, that guy's cursed. Can, well, whose career? Whose career is fucked worse? Eddie Murphy or Mike? I feel like Eddie Murphy because he digs himself into holes. Like, at least Mike Myers just kind of disappeared. Yeah. We were talking about that today at work, and they're like, when did Mike Myers' career end? And I piped up immediately without even having to hesitate. I'm like, love guru. No doubt. That was yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. Awesome. And uh, also. You can't top that. That's a, no, that's the last nail in the coffin. Yeah. No, that was it. Uh, although he did have that. Very odd uh, appearance in Inglorious Bastards. Then a few years later, that's right. <laughs> that is, oh boy, wow. so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, since then, nothing. No. Okay. And then Murphy's like making a no dramatic turn, I guess. Right no, now. yeah, it's but not. it got like a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, oh, and I'm always slightly exaggerating. Oh, yeah, wow. it got a lower rating than that Tim Roth film that was pretty much paid for by FIFA, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. So Nick, oh yeah, it's a possession. 
Yeah, uh, if it wasn't uh, clear by now, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I think it's fantastic. One of my favorite parts of this movie uh, is the idea that every time I watch it, I think this is, according to Letterboxd, the fourth time I've seen this film. And every time I watch it, even if the horror aspect of it fades ever so slightly from the very first time I watched it and was like, what am I watching? Uh, That's actually not a bad thing because it sort of fades into more dramatic territory where I start to enjoy this more and more on a dramatic level in the way it represents uh, disintegrating marriage and the unfortunate effects it has on the children that uh, the marriage itself creates. I mean, there's so much here about like uh, repopulation and the way that these monsters we spawn are our own doing and the way they terrorize us and how we don't think about anybody other than ourselves. And, and it's not so much because I have such a cynical view on relationships or anything. I, this is just like this type of relationship is very real. Uh, it doesn't mean that all relationships are like that. Uh, and But I've seen these kind of people, I would say, so to speak, uh, together. And this is what it looks like just in a more horror effect uh, mode, so to speak. So I, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I give it a four and a half out of five because I it's one of my all-time favorite movies, and it basically, in my esteem, ranks with movies I give a five out of five, but its pacing is slightly, uh, I don't know, but it just doesn't always, as much as I love it, which is pretty much start to finish, uh, even if I can't point to exactly which scene I would cut out, uh, it could have been slightly trimmed. And- it's funny when you talk about pacing because uh, another filmmaker who I thought of a couple times during this film was Terrence Malick. Yeah. So, and that's another filmmaker who's made a film that I absolutely love, and I and yet I wouldn't dispute anyone who says it might go on a little too long. Or yeah, something. sure. It's kind of like I want Zuwalski to indulge in everything he's indulging in, and that's what makes this movie, from my own perspective, like so great. Uh, so to try to obtain, I would say that five star rating or just something close to perfection or whatever, uh, would just fundamentally change what it is, and I wouldn't want that to happen. So it's it's a film that I absolutely love. It's just not a uh, five-star masterpiece, so to speak. Well, very good. That is our thoughts on Possession. Oh, yeah. Speaking of five-star masterpieces. Oh, boy. The film we're talking about. Don't you do it. I'll bury you underground. Bury you underground. <laughs> the film we're talking about next week is the uh, the film directed, starring, and written by an all-encompassing uh, Nate Parker. And dragged down by. <laughs> <laughs> and that is The Birth of a Nation, the film that uh, did very well at Sundance and uh, was the highest... The highest paid... Yes. Uh, bid, so bid film... Ever and actually was a bit higher than it ended up getting taken. I was uh, gonna say yeah. only because uh, Nate Parker wanted to have this. Have Can you imagine that this was just on Netflix? No, yeah. If he had just accepted that, he made more money <laughs> than he would have, and he probably wouldn't have to go through all of this. I mean, uh, not I all know. of it, but I'm just saying, you know, it would have been. I will say this: it would have been it would interesting. Be a different climate. <laughs> It would have been, it would have been interesting to see. I should say so. It would have been interesting to see if Netflix would have tried to push this into theaters. 
Well, I think they would have because it, if you want to be eligible for an Oscar, you have to do the whole beast of no nation thing. Where, right, yeah. but I, I meant on more of a wide scale like this is getting. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Right, I, I, that I, is I, true. I don't know. I think Netflix is too selfish for that. They would have just did <laughs> I, the whole. I would agree, but what did they? They bid like some ridiculous. It wasn't like twenty five million or something. It was twenty one, I think. Twenty one, like the seventy, their seventy seventeen uh, yeah. million bid that Fox Searchlight did. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to not put it in the theater, even if it's on your personally owned. True. Maybe they had the utmost faith that this would have been their you know big thing to. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, uh, this film, The Birth of a Nation, is coming out in wide release uh, and. has a cast of characters, not just Nate Parker in it. Some Thank people God. you've probably heard of, including Army Hammer and Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, and those are just the white people. So, <laughs> I was just about to say <laughs> that. Yeah. So uh, this is a film that uh, there's a lot of different opinions out there. And that's just about the film, not even necessarily about Nate Parker. It was Nate a little Parker. too black for me. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, and uh, if you listen to our uh, Sundance recap episode that me and Nick did earlier this year... You'll know we had very differing opinions on we this did. film. We did. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think either of us are wrong on, on I don't opinions, think so. so no. Um, Wait, did you say either of us? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Just so uh, that's something to look forward to on episode 85. If you have any thoughts on either The Birth of a Nation or Possession, you can always or Westworld as well, yeah. you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. And you can find all our episodes on FilmTankShow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher as well. So from Nick Cheney to Sonny and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time.